Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Mental Salad podcast. Thank you all for tuning in to last week's episode where I introduced you to my life and talked about the suggestions I have for getting on up to a path of recovery. This week, I will be talking more about the rest of my life story and introduce the basic concepts of DBT for which I have found profoundly helpful. I am grateful for being able to get this podcast started and I've already have my first episode published. I hope that you all found it profoundly helpful, and if you haven't listened to it, feel free to give it a listen before starting this episode. Thank you all once again for tuning in, and I hope you find what I have to talk about helpful. Once again, as a disclaimer, I'm not a professional. All the information I provide this, during this podcast comes from my own lived experience and our suggestions, so everyone will have a different experience with the tools and topics I suggest. So to start from where we left off, last time I was talking about how my life began and the family system I was born into. This included the academic and emotional struggles I faced as I graduated high school and began to prepare for college. The summer before I started college, things had already started to escalate. I had two main goals for the summer. I wanted to get my driver's license and to complete all the necessary prep for college in the fall. But my efforts around getting my driver's license is when things really began to fall apart that year for me. I hadn't gotten my driver's license up until this point due to the upheaval in my life and the fact that a global pandemic had recently ravaged the world. So right when I got home, I began practicing and drive, drove every chance I got to get ready for the test. I'd become desperate by that point to make sure I got my license by the end of the summer, no matter what the cost may be. I would spend hours of the night studying for the test, looking up every last inch of information I could find. What became worse was that the night before the test, my hyperactive studying had reached the point where I stayed up all night desperately trying to find a solution to a problem my head drove up. This caused me to become exhausted and delirious the next morning, with my anxiety having reached a fever point. I had basically spent the whole night crying and screaming, desperately wondering what I would do the next day. So as the next day approached, I was really angry the following morning. Because of the system I had lived in as a result, I was only ashamed for my actions the night before, not trying to help me understand what had happened. All of this was on my mind as I packed up and got in the car for the arduous journey to the testing site. I thankfully managed to get a couple weeks of sleep during the drive, but for the most part, I was sleep deprived going into the test. I started the test with a feeling of pure terror on my mind as I had recently had an anxiety attack minutes before. As you can imagine, what ended up happening was that I failed the test. I had so much anxiety and fear on my mind that I had become distracted and I had made a basic mistake. I had made such a stupid mistake that I felt so much hatred and then disgust as a result after the test. And that was basically the way I was, saw it after the test, I no longer saw that mistake as stupid. But in that moment, yes, I really saw it as being, you know, me being an idiot, me being just a completely stupid driver. So basically, this just led to more crying, more anger, and more screaming over the, how I failed the test. And I couldn't even understand. Not re- refusing to believe that it is perfectly normal for someone to fail their driving test on the first attempt. As a result, my whole summer became defined by this incident and what I saw as a complete 
atrocity out of my character. I had become inconsolable, wondering how this could have happened with all the work and effort I had put in to it. I didn't know how I could possibly get back out on the road without being haunted by what had happened during the test. I refused as a result to ever drive again. I told myself that my driving was a danger to the public and I would never get my license in my entire life, completely shutting myself down to that path. I didn't want to face another humiliation like that ever again, completely catastrophizing to any possible possibility of other solutions. This event was only a hint of what was to come for the rest of the year. As I moved on from this awful memory, I changed my attention towards some more important things, such as creating a schedule for school. I had to figure out the classes I wanted to take, and it had become a complete disaster in my mind. What had happened with my driving test was once again happening with this class schedule because I couldn't find the classes I was looking for and I was completely freaking out. And this only led to more emotional abuse for my family system. Eventually I got a schedule compiled, but for the life of me, it took such an emotional and physical toll on myself. I'm about to enter a trigger warning, so please skip 30 seconds or so if you don't want to hear it. I had physical scars on my body that I hadn't healed because I would constantly keep hurting myself even with the bruise left on my skin for my efforts to punish myself. The worst of it was on my hand where I would physically bite myself myself as a form of punishment because I was just that angry. And, you know, it didn't even end up being that big of a deal because I just managed to get into the classes I want, but I was and figure out a schedule. But at that point, it just had felt so impossible. But things had gotten worse as class registration had begun. Even though I got into the classes I had wanted, there was still a huge mistake I had made. I had worked very diligently and hard to make a master spreadsheet of all the classes I wanted to take on a list with all the different sections and all the different times and all of that. But I guess for one of the classes, I didn't list all the sections for it and I couldn't get into it as a result. And I just went into a complete spiral, crying and screaming, feeling like a whole idiot. But I still managed to get a class and the divide between me and my family system had only grown as the people in it had only grown sick of me even more. The other problem that had evolved around this time is that my brain would move a million hours at a time that was and was fed up by my hobbies. On the side, I would like to listen to audiobooks and watching TV. But instead of listening to them at a normal speed, I would try to listen to it at twice the normal, twice twice what it would be, um, which only caused my brain to become, um, move at a faster pace. The rest of the summer went fairly smoothly as I finished up the necessary paperwork and packing to head to my school. I was nervous as I was embarking on a whole new journey, once again, far from home, but with less support than I had been used to in high school. Moving day had quickly become an atrocity as I once again suffered emotional abuse and I had just become emotionally distraught. And I was just really upset over everything that had just happened that day. And it was basically what set the tone of how I was going to feel for the rest of the year. But thankfully, once I got adjusted and once I made up with everything, 
the rest of the week went pretty smoothly. And I had begun to even connect with people around me and started to make new friends. One huge issue that completely changed the course of my life did come up, though. One of the classes that I had registered was for was beyond my skill level, and I didn't have the necessary prerequisites to be successful in it. I went back down on a spiral as a result freaking out over what I was going to do. Rather than think through the problem calmly and collectively, I made a rash decision and jumped onto the first class I could find. This, as I would later find out, would be the worst decision of my life, but also what saved it. As I started school and began my first month, things were going mostly smoothly. I felt like I was getting the hang of my accidental class, even though it was still extremely difficult, and things still felt good and calm for the first few weeks. As I started to get used to my new environment and began to build a social community around me. But as the month wore on, midterms quickly reared their head, and this is when things became more problematic. At this point, much like in high school, I would jump weeks and months ahead of the class to stay on top of the homework and would work myself to the bone in this attempt as a result. So once my first test scores with the accidental came, class came out and I had failed, I spiraled once again hard. I was angry, full of so much self-hatred and confusion over how this could have happened. I also feel like because I didn't have the kind of emotional support that I did Growing up in a boarding school for high school, I think it also, I wasn't used to being so isolated with my emotions. Around this time, I was also being recommended to stop my behavior and people around me were begging me to stop, but I just couldn't. I just felt so much anger and I refused to believe them. And because of what happened with the test, instead of taking stock and trying to adjust my study strategies, I instead doubled down, working twice as hard and studying twice as much. Things were being driven by the upcoming midterm I had in my accidental class, and I was determined not to get anything lower than an A. This, as I realize now, was an unhealthy mindset, all which all culminated on one night last year when my spiraling got so bad that I had to go to the hospital. Here I had finally hit my rock bottom and realized I just was not going to be able to keep going down the path I was going. As a result, I ended up going home the next day, knowing not knowing that I would never return. Once home, I managed to get into more emotional abuse about wanting to drop the class because of everything. And I just wasn't consoled about everything that was happening to me. I was just more ridiculed, if anything. And it was just really hard. And because of this, the night before the I was supposed to go back. I just couldn't do it. Something in my system didn't feel right. And I just was like, it just, yeah, I didn't feel like I would be safe if I went back to my school. So instead, I entered what was known as a partial hospitalization program. This meant I would spend the majority of the day at my, at my treatment program and would come home after. I finally was able to not feel as alone and isolated once I entered the treatment. And I could finally get the help I needed so desperately. Here I was able to be introduced to the ever important topic of today, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. Once I had made enough progress, I graduated down to an intensive outpatient program. Here I felt a little bit nervous because it was a different program and I had only spent maybe a couple hours on my day instead of the whole day. But here I was also introduced to incredible tools and technology and was shown why it was really important to and was given new feelings of self-worth. 
in the background, my family system had fallen apart and things had separated. And my system had split up because of the system's problem of alcoholism. And because of that issue, things had just become bad enough that um, my family, my system broke up and I felt divided as a result. And I began living in a new home, which was interesting. But yeah. So with the skills and newfound confidence I gained over the year, I managed to retake my driving test twice and passed. Unlike the year before, I didn't completely fall apart, but I stood strong even when I failed the first time and I didn't give up, even though every impulse in me wanted to. I was ecstatic, finally having the ability to drive myself wherever I wanted to go. But I was still struggling with these issues of self-esteem and self-worth, leading me to struggle to consistently drive on my own. These issues of self-esteem led me to graduating my intensive outpatient program, but things were still not all right for me. I began to prepare myself for community college for that summer, but I was still haunted by what had happened to me in college. With little pride and sense of self-worth, I wasn't able to last in the class for very long, maybe just two weeks. I eventually dropped out of it as the unhealthy coping as the mechanisms I talked about earlier in the podcast had reared their ugly head again. Eventually, seeing no other option, I entered myself into a residential facility for 30 days to help myself find out find myself and see what I needed to do moving forward. And here I just began to live there separate from my family system and no longer had codependent tendencies. I will clone codependency at a later date. I will. I was also able to begin to have nighttime and morning routine, time routines that rehabilitated my self-image and got me to remembering my coping skills. I finally stopped feeling like that scared little child that needed their parents' approval to help them feel confident. So this is what brings my story up to the present. I am in transitional living at the moment, while also in a partial hospitalization program. I'm also planning to enter school at the end of the month and have confidence in my abilities to, around anxiety management to handle whatever PTSD comes up. I also plan to move into an intensive outpatient program once I graduate PHP. To be honest, it was very difficult to decide to reduce the treatment I had already spent a year on, but I knew I wasn't, I was still gonna be able to get a lot more out of it if I started from the beginning, since I wasn't living at home. And rather than having to handle my own emotions and the emotions of my household, I was able to solely focus on myself. Looking back on it, it reminds me so much of the alcoholic behavior in my family system, refusing to admit I had a problem because of the possible consequences of what I would say. Looking back, this is why this whole year unfolded the way it did because I was so desperate to be the perfect son and not to be the per- version of myself that I was most proud of. And now I can actually live for myself. Thank you all for listening to my life story up until the present. The main topic, like I said, of this week's episode is dialectical behavioral therapy. This is a form of therapy that had become a large part of what I've been learning over the last year. Once again, I am not a therapist. Everything I will be talking about comes based on my own suggestions and my own lived experiences in therapy. So, I'm, yeah, so it's just everyone has their own experiences and this is, yeah. The reason why I'm suggesting this tool is that therapy 
Dialectical behavioral therapy has been a complete life changer for me. So I've gained greater tools in being able to cope with unpleasant situations. This type of therapy talks about how two things can exist at the same time, which in this case it refers to our two states of mind. The two states of mind that it refers to are what are called emotion mind and logic mind. Emotion mind is what is referred to as living and thinking solely within your emotions. This for me meant I would act without really thinking and just react if I was really emotional and not really think about the consequences and think they're logically just focusing on the emotions I was feeling. Logic mind was on the opposite side of the spectrum. This would be like me trying to just act without pure facts and not think about the feelings of other people or not think about the way it would make me feel. And it would also mean I wouldn't have any compassion. So the middle point between these two opposites, as I've learned, is called wise mind. This would mean that this is a mixture of the two minds. Basically, this means living in the most rational, but also healthy place in your life where you're both empathetic to other people while also trying to be logical and also not abusing your emotions. And I wouldn't abuse my emotions, but also, you know, not let it overwhelm. One thing that I found for me is sitting in my emotions, it really just leads to me being stuck in more in an emotion mind. As someone who is an emotional person, just really trying to, you know, sit and feel only makes things worse. Um, and I, as I sat in it, I would only become more deregulated, pushing me deeper into whatever episode I was in and practically make it impossible for me to feel any better. From what I've learned and what I've been able to understand this year, um, being able to tolerate distress is what is often the most important thing to me. And there are a variety of different tools you can, and skills you can use for this, but one DBT skill that I really liked is called the tip skill. The tip skill is a list of coping sk skills that I have found helpful to bringing me down from emotion mind to wise mind. When I have been going into a complete depressive episode and when I've been needed to use them effectively. These last few months, it has been exactly what I needed when I'm struggling with different PTSD issues or just any little thing because it's what brought me out of it. So the T in tip refers to temperature. When I use the skill, it means I would just throw some cold water on my face or run or take a cold shower or just, you know, put an ice pack on my head, just anything to cool the heat that was building in my system. Just because when I got so emotional, it basically felt like my whole body was on fire. The eye and tip is refers to intense exercise. Um, what this means, like, you know, I've done this, like, you know, I just got for sprints or I've done a plank spend to really just get any anxious or angry energy is stuck inside my body out of it. And it's just really helped me when I'm in the most extreme states or like I'm in a really bad PTSD episode. And the first P and tip refers to paired muscle relaxation. Um, I use this when I to tense up different parts of my body, reaching all the way down from my legs, all the way to the top of my head. This is like, and this would be like tensing and relaxing. And I found a skill profoundly helpful in releasing any tense energy built up in my body. It's also been really helpful because if I, I don't have any like water or I can't do a plank, it's just been one of those skills that really helps me bring me down from a really elevated place. And the last letter in the tip skill, the last let the last P slash letter in the tip skill refers to paced breathing. When I've used this, it usually refers to me, I've done like five breaths in and then five and then ten breaths out. And I just found it really helpful to just 
control, bring my breathing down from this point where it's like really ragged to a point where it can be much more controlled. Or I've done square breathing, which is like I've, where I've chased my breath around an object around the room. And it, this definitely has to be one of my favorite aspects of DBT. I've, it really just felt like when I was introduced to it that this was like a huge relief because I finally found something that would help me to stop feeling like such an awful place whenever I would have anything distressing coming up in my life. And honestly, it just really showed me that like there are two halves of me, my emotion mind and my logic mind, you know, the one part of me like that really wants to act out being the emotion mind and just learning to not always listen to it and trying to live in the best version, like, you know, choosing the best mind that is the healthiest. And honestly, it's been really helpful for me because on another note, DBT has also shown me different ways I can communicate with my family system. As I've talked about, it has been full of a lot of emotional abuse. So being in a new program and being in a new living environment, I have sought ways to try and make it so I don't always feel so upset when I communicate with my family system. I think it just really has been helpful in terms of interpersonal effectiveness. This is for me where I, skills around how I talk to people within around me. And I am someone who also struggles with this. So one effective tool I found for interpersonal effectiveness is what is called a dear man. And this is one type of communication style that I have used to help discuss difficult topics with my family system. So basically the family system I had come from, like I talked about, is one where we would just yell at each other until we felt better about what we were arguing about. And this is all I had known up until this point. I didn't really know how to have healthy disagreements. And once I had begun to put this skill into practice, I was able to finally have healthy disagreements without needing to yell and scream. So to begin, the D and dear man is what I have used to describe a situation that has been upsetting me. And for this example, I'm going to be talking about like if I was talking to an alcoholic. So it, to use this, I would say you're drink, you have been drinking a lot and I ha you have, your health has declined a lot as a result. And because of that, just in this letter, really just try to stick to the facts is what I have found. And that's what I really try to do. And E in the acronym means when I use the skill, I will try to explain how the situation is making me feel. And it really is a great way for me to articulate the impact it is having on me mentally and emotionally. So with the alcohol example, I would probably in that situation say, your drinking has just made me feel really sad and really upset. So now to the A in the acronym. So this would be where I would request what I want them to do to rectify the situation. This would mean I would be direct and ask them, you know, in unambiguous terms and just be really clear. And so again, using the alcoholic example, I would ask the alcoholic to go to rehab. And then when I 
use the R in the acronym, it would mean bringing it back to them. So uh, this would mean I was trying to entice them by saying, you know, why this would be a helpful solution for them and not just for me. So like using the alcoholic example, I would say like, okay, hey, it's going to help keep our relationship together. And A, it also will help you so you don't, you know, your health isn't completely destroyed. So yeah, and then the last few acronyms are about how I would approach my demeanor in the situation and like how I present myself. So the M in this acronym would be trying to be mindful of their feelings and the state of mind that they are in. So using the alcoholic example, I would try and find a situation where they're not drunk and try and monitor their demeanor throughout the conversation. And then in the A, the next letter is A. So this is the second A of the acronym. And this would be making sure that I am confident during the situation. So I would, in the alcoholic example, I would try to make sure I don't apologize and I am very firm about what I am saying. So the N, now moving to the N, which is the last letter of the acronym, um, it would be me trying to find a compromise. So during the, with the alcoholic example, it would be like trying to say maybe like, hey, if you don't want to go to rehab, would you at least be willing to go to some kind, find any other kind of solutions that, that can help you not drink as much? And yeah, so this skill has been really profoundly helpful with how I communicate with my family system and actually helped me to feel like I'm not as upset when I have conversations with them. And I've already been able to use it and just really, I've already seen the difference. And that for me has been amazing. So that is why I would definitely suggest this tool along with the tip skill in terms of DVT. So yeah, wrapping that up and really I've noticed that my life has really changed over the last year. A year ago, I would never have you know, thought this is the place I would be. I imagined, you know, being a sophomore in college and being a successful and happy student at the university I was going to. But at the same time, I'm so grateful that I hit my rock bottom when I did. I would not be able, to, I would not have been able to continue going the way I was and sooner than right later, I would have realized that, you know, it's better for me, for me to focus on the PTSD than try to escape it. I'm also grateful that I had a great supportive community of friends around me. They have been an amazing support system for me when I have been in the hardest moments of my life. They're the ones who made me see something was wrong and pushed me to make a change in my life. This year has been crazy as I went into treatment and drunk from place to place, but I'm grateful that I did. I learned more about myself than I ever could and set me to be on a new and more healthy path and also introduced me to such an amazing topic of DVBT, which I'm still grateful for. So yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for today's podcast. Thanks again for tuning into the Mental Salad podcast. This episode was really important to me because it covered the most important and drastic part of my life. This whole year was an insane year and being able to talk about it and really just let go of the trauma I've had experienced had a tremendous impact. Everything that I talked about in DBT helped me to understand how things have gone wrong and really understand what the meaning of mental health is. I, have, I had no familiarity around it and I constantly felt feelings of isolation until I learned about dialectical behavioral therapy. Next week, I will be talking about most likely mindfulness in detail. So that will be the main topic of the episodes. So if you want to do any research ahead of time, this that will be the episode's focus. Once again, I want to thank all of you 
Razmei listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show and have a wonderful day.